0: Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schallenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national bestselling author. He successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world. An executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger.
1: Welcome to our Becoming Your Best family and friends to this week's podcast. I have an incredible guest with us today, and one who will share some tips that I know will be so transformational for us both in our lives and, and professionally. About 45 years ago, my life changed as I met my new mission president and his spouse in the faraway countries of Uruguay, Paraguay, and Argentina. I met Gardner and Dorothy Russell. Gardner had been a businessman and an international consultant. And what I noticed was that Dorothy was such a fabulous, complimentary leader to Gardner. And I still remember some of the talks and training that that we received. Uh, One time, Dorothy shared one of the keys to success. She's our guest for the day, by the way. And that was to be in the right place at the right time doing the right things. That is great advice that still applies today. And I've had the privilege to now associate with Gardner and Dorothy for 45 years. And they have been an inspiring mentor in my life. Now, you really can't talk about Dorothy without talking about Gardner. And you definitely cannot talk about Gardner without talking about Dorothy. Uh, Gardner was on our company board of directors for the last 20 years of his life. And Dorothy was frequently by his side, intently interested in, in the numbers and what was happening. Gardner passed away in his 92nd year uh we now we've missed gardner that was a couple of years ago dorothy was made an honorary member of our board of directors and continues to attend our annual retreats even up till today and dorothy is in her 91st year (laughs) now dorothy is an extraordinary woman in her own right and as you will soon soon learn uh a number of things about her. She's the mother of four amazing children and a bunch of grandchildren and great-grandchildren. She's lived in four or five different countries. She speaks Spanish fluently. She's been a political leader, a civic leader, a social leader, and a business leader. Now, I just want to remind our audience today, leadership is not always about position, title, or power. Uh, it is far more about influence and Dorothy has had a huge influence on so many people not long ago a friend of mine my former baseball coach said to me I have the subject for your next book Steve (laughs) I listened with great intent he said here it is hope well people need hope and that's why I wanted to do this interview with Dorothy Russell today she will give hope to each one of us simply through the example of her life. <laughs> and Dorothy is a mix of Florence Nightingale, Rosa Parks, Mother Teresa, and Joan of Arc. Well, Dorothy, welcome to our podcast today.
2: Thank you very much, Steve.
1: <laughs> I have so much been looking forward to, to having you here, and it's good to have you with us. Well, let's get right into our Uh, interview and why don't you tell our listeners today about your background and and your story what was it what was your life like growing up and what experience or or things helped you see that you had great capacity
2: well i grew up as the middle child in a family of six children and i was plain and skinny with crooked teeth and straight (laughs) hair in a shirley temple era (laughs) <laughs> and uh, my mother kicked my dad out when my little brother was, was a month old. And this single mothers were not uh, popular at that time. But so I grew up not popular, not pretty, not coordinated. My piano teacher said, You're wasting my time and your money to my mother when she tried to give me lessons. And uh, so I grew up thinking that, well, I would be the sweet little sister and not amount to anything. But as I grew up, my older sisters both took debate in high school, and they told me how wonderful it was and how they enjoyed it and everything. So when I came up right behind them, I decided to take debate, and they tried to discourage me because I I was, as I say, by this time I had actually grown up a little bit and wasn't quite, I, I had, Uh, instead of being skinny, I had put some bumps on, and (laughs) now I was slender, and I had learned to curl my hair and straighten my teeth, but still, I was so shy that when teachers called me in class, I would blush, so they couldn't understand why I'd want to take debate, so I took debate, and and, and what I would do is I would go to the library at night, and I would study the subject, so the debate coach realized that Although I wasn't the most aggressive, I, I knew more about the subject than anybody else. So she teamed me with the class president, and we went to tournaments. Well, I ended up by, we ended up by being second place in a regional uh, debate tournament at the end of the year, and I went to college on a debate scholarship. So I learned that I could compensate for some of my things that were lacking, by doing other ways of improving myself. So this was a revelation to me. So then, uh, but, you know, when I went to college, I, uh, to pay for college, because my mother couldn't afford to, uh, I worked the candy stand at nights in the theaters. Well, the high background of the candy stand gave me a chance to, when there were no patrons in the, in the uh, lobby, I could do my homework. So this worked out fine. And so, but the only problem was this. I had been raised to go to church on Sundays and everything. And suddenly working nights and all day Saturday and Sunday, no church. And so pretty soon I started picking up bad habits. And this happens very easily. And I can understand it now with the youth today, how this is happening.
1: Well that's quite a background Dorothy that's uh, that's really interesting it sounds like it sounds like uh, gaining knowledge and you had a great deal of curiosity played a, a huge role in your early life
2: Yes because I because I wasn't athletically inclined or had all these talents I spent all my time reading so I got a great knowledge of of just general everything and then I found out later that this was just as good as talent sometimes
1: oh absolutely no question about it well tell us about then uh what what happened like uh, you had world war ii coming along in your life and tell yeah. us about some of the conditions there and and what took place because i i think the real dorothy Ru- russell started uh, coming out about that time
2: <laughs> yes uh the world war ii started while i was a, a senior in high school and uh, so although i went to college there was a lot of pressure to take jobs that the men had to go away to the war, so they wanted women to take their jobs. So first I worked for United Airlines reservations, and then uh, they moved the 6th Army Command from California to Utah because they were afraid that it would either be shelled by, by warships or bombed by planes from the Japanese. So they moved to, to Utah, to Fort Douglas, and so I went there, and I got a job in the IBM tabulating unit. And there, the girls did the coding, and the men worked the machines. Uh, I learned then that, you know, there was a great discrimination between men and women because the, the girls did the simple work and the men did the complex work. There was one girl who sat in a corner all by herself, and she uh, uh, worked alone. And I noticed that sometimes she would work on her lunch hour because she was backed up. So I would go on my lunch hour, and I'd help her out. And I found out that she did reports that were confidential to special troop placements and uh, venereal disease reports. Wow. I got an education with venereal disease reports. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But... (laughs) But uh, then, uh, so when she decided to have her family and quit work, she recommended that I take her position. So I started working as the only woman in this department. Well, I found out that when I had to run a report, and I went out in the machine room and asked them to run a report, they were busy running these thousand file reports, and they couldn't be bothered with mine. So I'd have to wait days to do it. So I asked them if they would show me how to run the machines. So they agreed. It was easier to teach me to run the machines and, than to do the reports themselves. So when the 6th Army moved back to San Francisco, uh, I found out that my office was now in the machine room, the only girl in the machine room. <laughs> and so I got a very deep knowledge of all the machines as well as the other coding. Then, when the civil head left that office to go to work for another department of the government, he soon called me and said, I'd like you to come and be my assistant, assistant manager of the office. And even though I found out that the only reason he called me was because the uh, position w- wasn't enough to afford a man in that position. <laughs> uh, I was thrilled with it because it gave me a lot more ability to expand. And so I became uh, assistant manager in this office. And that was a a big thrill for me.
1: Well, that's great. Well, I can just imagine now that uh, I see this young girl and she's really sprouted. She's gained a lot of experience. And I can see this pistol of a will that I know about Dorothy Russell coming out. (laughs) <laughs> and a stiff mm-hmm. back, and and wanting to make a difference in the world. So, uh, tell me about then uh, what happened. You met Gardner somewhere along the w- way, and just talk briefly well, I, about that.
2: And at this point, I thought I had everything I wanted. I had a good job. I had a nice apartment with good roommates. I uh, had a red MGTC convertible. <laughs> uh, I. <laughs> I had everything I wanted in the world, and yet I was, something was missing, and I had no idea what it was. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm missing church. So one night they used to have a singles meeting on Tuesday nights, and so Tuesday night I washed the smoke out of my hair <laughs> and <laughs> put on clean clothes so that they wouldn't. uh, smell all that uh, sin that I was doing, (laughs) and uh, went to church. And there was a mixed group there, but there was one very handsome young man, and we all introduced ourselves, and after the meeting, there was a dance, and I poked my head in a dance, but the only really young man my age was dancing with somebody else, so I left. But the following Sunday, I thought, well, you know, I really kind of enjoyed going to church, so I'll try going to the Sunday meeting. So again, I cleaned up nicely and went to the Sunday meeting, sat in the back of the chapel, and uh, as soon as the meeting was over, left and hopped in my convertible and started driving home, and about three blocks down the road, a big Buick convertible cut me off. (laughs) And it was this handsome young man that I'd seen the Tuesday before. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go to the Golden Gate Park and study Omar Khayyam. And he said, no, that's what you were going to do. <laughs> now you're going to the Balalaika and have lunch with me where the waiter sings opera with a pitcher on his head. <laughs> so we did that. We went and we stopped dropped my car off, stopped at his place to change his clothes, went to have lunch, had a lovely lunch, and when the bill came, he uh, found he had left his wallet in his soup pants.
0: <laughs>
2: so I thought, uh-oh, this crummy young man is going to have me pay for lunch. But no, he called the the manager over and said, I can either wash dishes or I can... Uh, come back and pay you and he said uh, you don't look like you wash dishes so come back and pay me <laughs> so that began it and uh, we we dated but not exclusively we never went steady then one night we went to the balalaika this was about four or five months later one night we had a lo- he was a great dancer we went to balalaika and we had a lovely dinner and did a lot of nice dancing then we drove to a point overlooking the bay and, uh, he said, now, if I were going to propose, this is what I would say. And I thought, uh, huh, what <laughs> kind of a line is this? And he pulls out a ring, a beautiful one carat marquee cut ring. And I thought, Ooh, this is serious. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I thought, well, it's a beautiful ring, and he's the nicest man I ever met, and he's good-looking, and he's a good dancer. Well, I'll take the ring and think it over. (laughs) That's great. uh So then the next day, he called, and he said, oh, in a week I have to go on a business trip to Latin America. that will take several weeks. And he said, "Uh, why don't we get married and call this our honeymoon? Well, then I had to make a serious decision. Oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, so we, we uh, uh, I called my mother and said, Mother, I'd like to be married at home the following Sunday. <laughs> and she, she was very surprised, but it so happened that his parents, who lived in Ohio, were in Utah at the time, you know, some of these things that just happenstance, I, I can't believe it was. Right. But they ha- they happened to be in Utah on a fishing trip with Philo Farnsworth, who was the inventor of television and was a cousin of theirs. So they were there, and, and so both of our families were there. And so the following Sunday, we married, we drove to Salt Lake, and got married on the Sunday and and uh, left on Tuesday. Actually, we were married on the 24th of July, which is a a celebration there. So we uh, uh, watched the uh, 24th of July parade from our hotel window the next morning and then flew Tuesday to uh, Puerto Rico and Venezuela. And we were actually gone four weeks on our honeymoon. Wow, so we really got to know each other.
1: <laughs> uh, I guess. Well, that's a terrific story. And since then, uh, Gardner and Dorothy had moved to Puerto Rico, where Gardner took over a business that was failing and helped turn it around. And that's one of the lessons I later learned is I loved uh, finding troubled companies or divisions and figuring out how to turn that around. And I'm sure I learned. A lot of that from Gardner, uh, they were then sent to Uruguay and Paraguay, where I had the chance to meet them. They returned after their mission to Florida, where Gardner became a uh, uh, continued his profession as an international consultant uh, and Dorothy, I'd like to have you tell the listeners a little bit about now I know you took a little hiatus again and went to Central America on an assignment for several years and but ultimately came back and settled in Florida, and you and Gardner have tried to look ahead and provide an income stream to help you uh, in your later years. <laughs> well, here we are. Now, tell us a little bit about your rental homes, what you're doing there, and then I have a couple of other questions.
2: Okay, yeah, well, as you say, he, he tested me several times because uh, not only was the the immediate test to get married, but then we had just uh, a, a couple of months to leave Puerto Rico selling our home and, and to go on a mission. And then again, when he was called to, uh, to be an uh, area president in, in Mexico and Guatemala, again, we had a couple of months to sell a home and get ready. And I always kind of figured, <laughs> figured well, if it's to be, let it be. And always, somehow, it happened. So I have to believe that, that somehow the Lord wanted us to do these things or it wouldn't have happened. And then, so then when we... Uh, I'd just like to stop we right talking, there,
1: Dorothy, just for a moment. I think that's a great concept, that uh, there's a lot of crossroads that come in life and different things happen, but we, we can grow from every one of those. And, and so many times as we look back, we realize there is a greater purpose. So I appreciate that lesson in life that you shared.
2: Yes. Well, then then when uh, when he got the call to, to go to uh, uh, Mexico and Guatemala and everything, I had been in real estate for years because my mother had been in real estate, and I saw how it helped her in her later years, and my grandmother had been in real estate. <laughs> wow. So I was in real estate, so I had bought, a number of properties. And when we left Florida, instead of having to sell our home, fortunately, our son had just started his business and was able to move into our house. So we were able to keep our house here. And he was able to take care of our properties that we had bought. And so the, we, we kept them all those years. Now, I still have these properties and I manage those. It's, it's, it's work. But uh, also, I get to know the people, and I enjoy meeting with them between the properties. And I go once a week to our temple in Orlando, where we do volunteer work. I'm involved, as you said, in politics and a little bit of everything. And I feel that as long as uh, the Lord gives me the ability to do things, I need to do them. Because if I don't, they're going to stop. And also, he he made me do the things that make me healthy. I had years, of, and when we lived in Mexico, they gave me medicine to put to kill the fungus under my toenail, which ended up by uh, giving me damaging my liver.
1: So oh, great. And
2: so Ugh. the doctor told me that if I had a high fat dinner, I could have a major stroke before breakfast. So I had to go on a low fat diet. Well, then later on. I had bleeding in the intestines, and they took out intestines, and I later had intestinal blockage. Found out that if I did the treadmill every day, I didn't have intestinal blockage because it only happened on the days I didn't do the treadmill. So now I just do the treadmill every day. So, you know, (laughs) he he makes it so I have to do the things that make me healthy. So with diet and exercise, I'll probably live forever. (laughs) So I'm going to live forever. I better keep doing some things so that <laughs> so that it makes uh, me happy and and actually, so I can do some good in the world while I'm here.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, oh, that's great! Now I, I'm sorry to break your line of thinking here, but I've got to tell you and our listeners today that I think about my exercise. And I think about Dorothy Russell every day getting on the treadmill at 90. Now, she's been doing this for a number of years. Uh, As she said, she needs to. Uh, Well, we all need to, as a matter of fact. And and wherever she she goes, she works that in. If she's on a cruise ship or if she's in Hawaii or home at Florida, that's one of the things that she does. So that's been an inspiration to me. If Dorothy Russell can do it, I should be able to do it. (laughs) okay now all right Dorothy. how many properties do you manage
2: uh i have uh 10 rental properties and then i have uh, four pieces of vacant land that have to be taken care of too so
1: (laughs) uh, that's a handful for anybody at any age so great job on that (laughs) uh dorothy just a couple more questions uh you've certainly had setbacks in your life uh you know we miss Gardner. He passed away a couple of years. You were married. How many years were you married? 63 years. 63 years. And so that -hmm. that had to be a huge loss. And I know that the husband of one of your granddaughters was tragically killed uh, about a year ago in a bike accident by someone that was drunk and had run a red light or something. But how do you deal with these type of setbacks? How do you keep going forward? How do you handle them, Dorothy?
2: It's not easy. Uh I still when I go to bed at night I look over at, at the other side of the bed and and wish that I could just touch him for a minute. Uh that's all I would need, you know, to build up, but it's not happening. And uh the one thing that that helps me with loss is to know that that we we that life is eternal. It's not just this life, that uh, we were made to to be together eternally and that we will be together again sometime. And as far as the other things go right now, my daughter's best friend is here and is dying of cancer. And uh, her mother and I have been friends for many, many years. And uh, uh, I see these things and I think, you know, there has to be a purpose in it, and sometimes it's hard to understand what they are. But uh, you have to go on. And uh, there's so much more to do in this life to help those who are here that uh, if maybe we can make life a little bit easier for somebody along the road, it makes it worth worthwhile. But uh, it's not easy sometimes.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. What a great insight. And uh, as we try to help others, it certainly gives a lot more meaning to our lives. And I love the perspective that you talked about, the eternal perspective, which helps us really have hope. It gives us great hope and comfort and peace. Now, Dorothy, I know one of the things that you've been involved with is something called Sally's House. And I wonder if you'd mind and just Take a few minutes and talk about Sally's house, what you've done there, and what's happening today.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, to go back on a little bit on that, uh, years ago we were going to build another chapel here. Our church was building another chapel here, and they needed to raise funds with it. So Gardner and I decided that the the church has a big ranch here. Why not have a rodeo that we would charge people to come to and use that as a fundraiser for, for our church? So when we had the rodeo, that's we ever creative,
1: it, ever creative way to be. Yeah,
2: we <laughs> called it the first annual rodeo, and everybody laughed at us. Yeah, you know, we we're raising funds to build a church, and That rodeo is still going some twenty years later, and they're still using it. Well, now they're using it, and the money they raise, they give to various charities. So one day they called me. At that time, I was public relations head for the group for the church. And they called me, and they said, we want you to give a check to Robin's Nest. For uh, So I gave the check to Robin's Nest, and I didn't know who or what they were, but I gave them the check and took a picture to send to back to the church. And uh, they said, why don't you come out and look at it? So I went out, and I looked at it, and here was a house. They had, It was a place where women who were pregnant or had small children who had gotten off of drugs, could then live to rebuild their lives. And I went out, and there's this little house, three-bedroom, one moldy bath house, and they had six women and six children, babies living in it, and using the the garage for extra sleeping quarters. And I was appalled at what I saw. So I was also, at that time, president of a... Political club. So I got the political club involved in, in helping to raise funds for it. And then, since I was a realtor, I went to the real estate office and said, <laughs> Let's do some fundraising. And they said, For druggies and a rented house. Well, I thought, well, you know, they had a, a, a right in that rented house. So I did a little inquiry. And with the director's help, I, 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 I called the owner of the house. And negotiated a price with him, and with three friends, we went ahead and bought the house. Well, once she owned the house, the head of Prevent, who was over over the uh, the, the, the robin's nest, was able to get one hundred fifty thousand dollars donated to fix it up. So she really remodeled it and made it into a lovely, lovely home. And so then she she said. We need a guild to support Robin's Nest. And by this time, it was being called Sally's House because Sally, who actually took the first uh, women into her home, died. and, And so they renamed it Sally's House. So I got some of the most prominent people in the community and from various cities around here. And we got together and formed a board. And we wrote the bylaws and we started a guild called Sally's friends. And that, uh, with that we supported the house and had various fundraisers and, and actually went and helped fix things up and fix up a nice yard and do all sorts of things for Sally's house. And so they've had something like 90 babies born drug free in this house since it was built besides all the other children they've taken care of. And We've gotten two-year scholarships for for the women who go there. We've had many times them come to the meeting and tell us how their lives have changed and how wonderfully they're doing since then. One woman came and she said she's now got a job making more than anybody who who worked at Prevent. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it was thrilling to see all that has happened with this.
1: Well, congratulations, and it continues to go strong today. Uh, well, Dorothy, do you have any final tips or any thoughts you might like to provide our listeners before we uh, end this uh, podcast today?
2: Well, the only thing I do is, is look around for opportunities and and expand your horizons a bit. Uh, don't be afraid to to take on things that, that might be a little difficult for you, and always be there to help whoever you can help along the way because eventually you find out that it helps you also.
1: Well, that's great advice. Well, there we have it. This is Dorothy Russell we've been talking with today. Uh, She just celebrated her 90th birthday at the beginning of this year by going to Hawaii, (laughs) went on a cruise with friends, parties in Florida and Salt Lake, and she's just had a great time. We appreciate all that you do, Dorothy. uh, Thank you for taking time today and the hope that uh, you inspire us with that it's not about the age it's what we do and and that we keep working on it as lo- long as we have breath so thanks for being with us today dorothy
2: thank you
1: well thank you uh, so much dorothy and to all of our becoming your best family and podcast listeners uh, remember that one person can make a difference and you can be the ripple effect Uh, I just love this uh, comment that I've shared before by Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Well, thanks again for joining us. I'm Steve Schallenberger, wishing you a great day.
0: thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the becoming your best podcast we want to know what your big takeaways were so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode also if you haven't done so yet please go subscribe to the podcast on itunes and leave a rating and review A rating interview is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.